Um, so I was driving down uh, Indiana Avenue looking for a parking space. Anybody ever done that before? Everybody looked for a parking space. One time I was in this ST lot and a guy yells at me, hey, are you leaving? I said, yeah, can I have your spot? And he tries to follow me and uh, someone took it right before he could get it and he was really mad. I said, come on, man. So I was trying to help. I said, I'm parked over here. Anyway, if you're here tonight, I'm really sorry about that. Um, but I was driving on Indian Avenue. If you get here early, it's the best time to come, but then you have to get up early, right? And so I uh, was pulling, and I saw this guy with a Metallica shirt on. If you don't know who Metallica is, uh, you're better for it. Don't worry about it. If you do know who Metallica is, you know how awesome the story is. This guy was playing bass, air bass. And I, I'm a musician, so I know the difference between playing electric guitar, air guitar, and bass. Like, the guy was just, like, going like this and rocking back and forth, waiting for the walk sign. And I was like, man, this guy is with it. It's like 8 o'clock in the morning, and he's air basing. And, you know, a little bit of judgment on my part. I'm like, I would never do that. And so sometime later, I'm driving in my car, and there's a song by uh, Elevation Worship, uh, Torrin Wells. Did you find it? Okay, play this song. So this song comes on, and I've got, I've got it blasted in my car. So good. So then I start dancing, you know? And then I got windows down. And then I'm looking around, people are staring at me, and I'm thinking, I'm just like the guy playing air bass. Okay, all right. Can you skip ahead? You got get, to gotta get to the pre-chorus. There you go. Anyway, it's good. All right, so this is what we want for you tonight. We want you to leave here and to have something that you can take with you, that this will not be something that happens here, and then it just, oh, remember that one time. But it will be something that infiltrates, and all of a sudden you're driving in your car, and all of a sudden you're dancing, and you got the music turned up real loud, and maybe you're thinking about what we talked about tonight. And so if you weren't here the, on August 27th, and you haven't been to any of our life groups, we're going through this thing called Believing in Babylon, which is just a study through the book of Daniel. And we're just, we're just going through it. And if you didn't hear this the first night, I want to say it again. And when we say believe in Babylon, this is what we mean. We don't want to be belligerent in Babylon, we, but we don't want to be belittled or shrink in Babylon, but we do want to believe in Babylon. We want to gain influence in Babylon, and we want to love in Babylon. We want to serve in Babylon and we want many to follow Jesus as a result of being in Babylon. And so that's what this study is all about. And this is Molly Robinson. She is a freshman at IUPUI. Props to her, Sharon, tonight. So she's going to share a little bit here. Yeah, hi, guys. Um, so yeah, like you said, my name's Molly, and I'm a freshman. Um, but I actually would be a sophomore, and so I'm just going to share a little bit about my journey and how I took a gap year. Um, and I went to Northern Ireland, which is really cool and amazing. <laughs> yeah, woo! Um, yeah, and it was the most incredible time, and I served with a mission organization called the Pays Movement, and um, I loved it, and I worked with kids in a local church, and um, if you want to know more about it, you can ask me later, but um, kind of my journey about how I got there, but then how I ended up back here, um, and to be extremely honest, this is not really what where I wanted to be, but that's been a journey of humility, and so we want to start this off saying what humility is, um, and that's what we're talking about tonight, and I think a lot of times we get this false idea of humility, um, and just like Andrew said about how we don't want to be belittled, and I think that's really key. Humility is not like belittling yourself. It's not thinking like, I can't do this. I'm not as good as other people. That's actually not. Humility is knowing whose you are and who you are, and so um, there's a great quote by C.S. Lewis, and he says, you know, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not thinking, oh, I'm such a horrible person 
universe and less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. And so it's putting others and God before you and before um, your thoughts and your actions. And so, yeah, we just wanted to make that really clear that humility is not um, like a peg at you and it's not like saying you're awful and you're horrible. Humility is actually the opposite of that. Um, and so, yeah. So moving forward, my story. So I spent a year in Ireland and I loved it there. I was thriving. I loved Ireland. It's beautiful. I'm sure you've seen pictures. I loved, I was like a seven minute train ride from the coast. It was awesome. And um, about March time, I had to decide. I was like, okay, do I want to come back and maybe go to school or do I want to stay? And like everything within me wanted to stay. I loved it there. I found community. I was in this Christian bubble. It was great. And I didn't really want to come home. Um, but I wrestled with God a lot, and um, he said that I want you to come home. And I was like, okay, why? What does that look like? And there are days still the day where I'm like, I don't exactly know why I'm supposed to come home, but I think this is part of it, so this is cool. Um, but, yeah, so I think journey in that, God really showed me what it meant to, like, be dependent on him and that humility of letting him have full control. Because um, sometimes I think as we grow up and as we become college students and stuff, we're like, independence, yeah, like, it's awesome. Like, I finally, like, get to decide what I want to do and all this stuff. And it can be scary, but we think that we're in control. Um, but really, when we put God in control, we sometimes feel like, I feel like this too, like, when we let someone else be in control of our lives, we're like, oh, they're like a judge, and they're like authority over there, and God is our judge, but also, I think that by him being in control, we actually have more freedom, and that's kind of what I wanted to talk about tonight, and kind of that humility thing, by God being in control, then you don't have to worry about all these other things, you know, by God being in control, you can be truly you, and you don't have to care what other people think of you, you can be truly free about your faith, and I think that's a big one, if God's in control, right, and if he loves you, then you can be so bold about your faith, and even if something bad happens, God's got your back, um, yeah, and another thing just about coming back to IUPUI, I want us to kind of look at this, and um, it's kind of the reverse for me, because I went to another culture, and then I came back, but Daniel was kind of transported into another culture without him being wanting to, but I got to choose, but coming back, I got to choose, but God called me home, so it's kind of similar, so IUPUI is kind of like my Babylon, to be honest, and it's really tough, and classes are going good, and things are good, but it's hard. And I don't know if any of you felt like that, but IUPUI is a hard place to be. Um, and I want you to know that you're not alone, but for such a time as this, God has you in this place for a reason. And no season is wasted. I was kind of praying before that, and I feel like I want you guys to know no season is wasted. And if you kind of feel like you just ended up here, you just ended up at IUPUI, you don't really know how you got here, you just applied and somehow you're here, that God has you here for a reason. That if this is your Babylon, Represent God well. If this is your Babylon, don't be belittled and don't think that you're a know-it-all, but really submit to God. And I'm on that journey with you guys, and I want you to know that, yeah, this is not my first choice, but I'm learning to love it. And we'll learn that Daniel does that too, where he didn't necessarily want to be here, but he looked at the people and he said, know what, God, if you have me here, then this is where I will serve. If you have me here, and your mission field is where your two feet are. And I love that phrase, but I think that's really huge that I could be in Ireland, I could be in Africa, <laughs> maybe one day, or I don't even know. But wherever your two feet are, that that's where God is, that you are the modern day temple, that you carry God with you into IUPUI. And so, um, yeah, that's a bit about humility. And, and coming home, it's been hard because sometimes I like share with people, yeah, I went to Ireland, it's so cool. And like sometimes I want people to be more excited or sometimes people like me more because I went to Ireland and it's kind of this weird balance. But 
um, yeah, first and foremost that I'm God's child and um, I'm serving where he wants me, but it is a journey um, and humility is not always easy, but I promise that um, that God will go with you and I hope in a couple years I can share exactly why I've been brought home, but um, I'm taking that step of humility and saying, you know what, God, if you're my faithful father, then I'll be your dependent daughter. So, yeah. <laughs> Ooh, that was powerful. Um, so when Andrew told me that uh, he wanted me to help out with this message, I, I looked ahead at the passage, and I was like, dang it, Andrew. It's like, didn't you know humility is like the one thing I really struggle with? Like, <laughs> humility's not easy for me. Now I got to get up and talk to people about it and tell them about when I've not been humble, um, which I guess, you know, that's humiliating. So that's good. Um, but something, something that I think is key about pride at least that I've seen in my own life, and, and maybe you guys can attest to this too, is that pride comes when we lose our identity in Christ. Um, and I think throughout this passage, I don't know if you guys have read through it, or as we go through it, you'll see that's what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar, is he started to place his identity, started to place his hope, he started to place his worth, and the fact that he was this great king, and the fact that he had this incredible kingdom, and the fact that he was super wealthy. And because of that, he became self-reliant, and he thought that, you know, he had it together, and so his anchor, his life anchor was put into that, and that's not a solid base, and so since his identity wasn't grounded somewhere solid, you know, it quickly fell away, um, and that's the other truth, is when our identity shifts and is no longer on Christ, it's not long before things begin to fall apart, because that base isn't strong anymore, um, and, and my story of this happened uh, second semester last year. So I come from a really high-achieving academic family. So my brother is an absolute genius. Um, he's an, an MD and a PhD. He didn't just want to be a doctor. He wanted to be a doctor doctor. Um, you know, like, what the heck? My sister's, like, super smart in English, knows all the words. One top student at IUPUI her senior year. Um, just, like, absolute genius, right? And I'm just, like, you know, the kid who plays basketball, pulling up the rear, trying not to, not to be uh, dumb or, or pushed out of the table. And so because of that, throughout my time in college, I started to shift my identity and put it on how well I performed in school or how well I performed in getting internships or how well I performed in these other areas. And for a while, that was going pretty great for me. Um, I was getting my grades. I was getting my internships. I was involved in a bunch of extracurriculars. Everything was lining up, and so life looked great, and I started to become super self-reliant, and I was like, I got this together. I'm good to go. Well, then there was one week last year where I had, like, a super bad test. Uh, a place I had interviewed for rejected me. Um, an extracurricular activity I've been involved in rejected me. Like, just, like, a bunch of bad stuff happened in this one week all at the same time, and uh, I went to church with my family, and afterwards we went to Red Robin to eat. And so we're sitting in this super crowded Red Robin. You know, it's, a, it's Sunday after church. It's packed out with a bunch of people. My mom looks at me, and she's like, oh, Ryan, how was your week? And in the middle of this Red Robin, like, I just start sobbing. Like, absolute breakdown, mental breakdown. just start sobbing, right? Because what had happened is I had become self-reliant. I had attached my identity into how I was performing and how I was doing. And so... I become proud in that. I become proud of who I was and what I had accomplished instead of proud of the fact that I was a servant of God. And so then when that foundation crumbled and I no longer had the grades that I wanted and I no longer had the opportunities that I wanted, 
everything just fell apart. And I think as we look at the story, we'll see that that's what happens to Nebuchadnezzar. And the difference between Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel is not that one was successful and the other wasn't. They were both extremely successful at what they did. But the difference was that Nebuchadnezzar grounded his identity in himself and in his accomplishments, while Daniel grounded his identity in the fact that he was a servant of God and that everything he did was reflecting back to God. So, wow. So if we're going to believe in Babylon tonight, and this is the theme for our life groups this week, if you're in our, one of our life groups, you need to choose humility before humility chooses you. Um, so you can either volunteer or uh, you can end up like Neb. Here. Yeah, so I'm going to read Daniel chapter 4, verses 1 through 18. It's kind of long, but stick with me. Um, you can follow along if you want. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I want you all to know about the miraculous signs and wonders the Most High God has performed for me. How great his signs, how, his, how powerful his wonders. His kingdom lasts forever, his rule throughout generations. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was living in my palace in comfort and prosperity. But one night, I had a dream that frightened me. I saw visions that terrified me as I lay in my bed. So I issued an order calling in all the wise men of Babylon so they could tell me what my dream meant. When all the magis, enchanters, astrologers, and fortune tellers came in, I told them the dream, but they could not tell me what it meant. At last, Daniel came before me, and I told him the dream. His name was Belteshar after my God, the spirit of the holy, and the spirit of the holy God is in him. I, sent, I said to him, Belteshar, chief of the magicians, I know that I know that the ooh, I know that the spirit of the gods is in you, and no mystery is too great for you to solve. Now tell me what my dream meant. When I was lying in my bed, there this is what I dreamed. I saw a large tree in the middle of the earth. The tree grew very tall and strong, reaching to the high high into the heavens for all the world to see. It had fresh green leaves, and it was loaded with fruit for all to eat. Wild animals lived in its shade, birds, tree, birds nested in its branches, and all the world fed from this tree. Then, as I lay there in the dream, I saw a messenger, a holy one coming down from heaven. The messenger shouted, Cut down the tree and chop, chop off its branches. Shake off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Chase wild animals from its shades and the birds from its branches. But, the tree, but leave the tree stump and the roots in the ground. Bound them with a band of iron and bronze and surround them by tender grass. Now let it be drenched with dew from heaven and let him live with the wild animals among the plants in the fields. For seven periods of time, let him have the mind of a wild animal instead of the mind of a human. For this has been the decree of the messenger. It is commanded by the Holy One, so that everyone may know that the Most High God rules over the kingdoms of the world, and he gives them to anyone he chooses, even the lowliest of people. Belteshar, that dream that Belteshar, that was the dream that I, Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now tell me what it means, for no none of my wise men in the kingdom have been able to do so. But you can tell me what it means because the spirit of the holy God is in you. All right, so one, the first thing we need to know about this passage is that about between chapters 3 and chapter 4, you're just going from the last verse of chapter 3 to 4, and like, so it literally took you one second. 
But for Daniel, it took him 30 years on the timeline of his life. So he goes from being very young, very inexperienced, to probably being around 50 years old by the time that this passage starts. So the fiery furnace with Nebuchadnezzar during Nebuchadnezzar's second year of reign would have been a, a distant memory in everybody's minds. And another thing that we wanted to mention right off the bat is that Nebuchadnezzar is going to give testimony to what God did to get his attention yet again. And also, if you could read, and some of you may be able to read uh, Hebrew and Aramaic. I'm not sure if you can. I can't. But I do know that at this point in the passage, it switches from Hebrew to Aramaic. And you're like, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, um, the way Aramaic worked is Hebrew was just for the Israelites, of course. And Aramaic was like a trade language. It would, it would be like having a little tiny microphone and then all of a sudden getting a giant microphone. And then all the people who would hear this would have understood what it meant. So when we hear this, we need to think global not local, right? He wants everyone to know what is happening here. And he said, this is what I dreamed. And um, so we, we have some art uh, from Michaela Powell, and we want to pass that at this time, but I'm going to keep talking. And we're going to throw, this is the thing that she drew. She actually drew that. I can't, I don't know how. Um, but Nebuchadnezzar had this dream of a tree. It's tall and it's strong like Orion, yet the command is, is to cut it down and to leave the stump and the roots. And before we're given the meaning of the dream, uh, Nebuchadnezzar teases us by giving us the overarching purpose of the dream. The Most High God rules over the kingdoms of the world. He will do whatever he, he will give it to whomever he pleases, okay? So I want you, when you look at this, this uh, piece of art and uh, what, what this is looking like, think about, think about Nebuchadnezzar. He is LeBron James. He is in control. He is the most famous person on earth. Everybody knows who he is because he's the most powerful, okay? He has everything everybody would want, okay? And so the reason we're giving this tree to you in its full extent, its full beauty, is that none of you here today would want to take this piece of art as soon as I pass it out. Michaela is here tonight. She would cry if you did this. She's in the back. But if you tore that up, she would start crying, I'm pretty sure. And uh, just think about that, all the intricate detail, all the fruit, it says, all the animals are living under the shade, and it's completely gone. And Nebuchadnezzar looks everywhere else except to the true God through Daniel. Oh, I wonder if there's a better option, and we seek everywhere else beside God. And I think sometimes we do the same thing, Right? You ever been there? You've got something that's killing you, and you're talking to all these people. No one has a solution. Uh, you've tried to figure it out. You've tried to pound your head against the brick wall, and just nothing is working. And Nebuchadnezzar is being the same way. And by the way, he's still polytheistic at this point. He believes in many gods, even after what had happened in the furnace. So Ryan's going to read Daniel 4, 19 through 27. Upon hearing this, Daniel, also known as Belshazzar, was overcome for a time because he was frightened by the meaning of the dream. And then the king said to him, Belshazzar, don't be alarmed by the dream and what it means. And Belshazzar replied, I wish that the events foreshadowed in this dream would happen to your enemies, my lord, and not to you. For the tree that you saw was growing very tall and strong and reached high unto the heavens for all of the world to see. It had fresh green leaves and was loaded with fruit for all to eat, and wild animals lived in its shade and birds nested in its branches. That tree, your majesty, is you. 
For you have grown strong and great. Your greatness reaches up to the heaven and your rule to the ends of the earth. But then you saw a messenger, a holy one, come down from heaven and say, Cut down this tree and destroy it. But leave the stump and the roots in the ground, bound by a band of iron and bronze and surrounded by tender grass. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the animals of the field for seven periods. This is what the dream means. Your majesty and what the Most High has declared will happen to you, my Lord. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow, and you will be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High is the one who rules the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. But the stump and roots of the tree were left in the ground, and this means that you will receive your kingdom back when you have once again learned that it is heaven which rules above. King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what is right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you can continue to prosper. You don't have to rip up Michaela's art. Come on, man, just repent. And at this point in the story, I'm yelling at him, and he's like thousands of years dead. And I'm still, it's like watching the movie over and over again. You think that it's going to end differently, and it doesn't. But upon hearing this, Daniel was overcome for a time, uh, aghast at the meeting. Okay, so many of us in our, our lives, we want to know how the future is going to shake out. Who am I going to marry? Where am I going to work? Where am I going to live? Are my kids going to be smart? Uh, you know, all these things that you think about on a daily basis that you're worried about, all these things that are in your future. Like if God would just give me divine revelation and let me know what's going on. And here we realize that we don't actually want that. Because throughout the book of Daniel, from here on out, he's going to get visions. And you know what he does when he gets visions? He about dies. He gets sick. So later on in the book, he is sick for days. And I think part of why it really bothered him to see this futuristic thing was I think he really cared about Nebuchadnezzar. He's worked for him for a long time. Daniel is a very, very dedicated to the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. <clears throat> Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, he is, he is all in to serve Nebuchadnezzar. And now it's just, it's unraveling. And Nebuchadnezzar is going to learn that no one, no matter how powerful, will escape God's judgment. The king would be humbled into some form of an animal. And we don't even know exactly what this means. This, this whole thing, um, seven periods of time, you could read like a million commentaries and get like 100,000 different explanations of how many seven periods of time, if it's seven years, seven months, seven days, no one really knows. I think it's kind of cool if it's seven years to really humble this guy. And actually, his experience doesn't humble him. He actually has to make that decision later on, doesn't he? But Daniel says in verse 27, he says, break from your wicked past. And it gives a little glimpse of his, his wicked past. Even in the pronouncement of Nebuchadnezzar's pride and the judgment that's about to come, he has given a chance and a deploring from Daniel to repent. And part of that is be merciful to the poor. Here's the question I've been asking myself recently. How merciful to the poor have I been recently? Wow, let that sink in for a while. Of all the things he could have said to Nebuchadnezzar, that, he just throws that in there, and you almost miss it. And I love this quote from Dallas Willard and talking about sin and, and how we're dealing with sin. And, and when we're confronted with our sin, we have a choice to make. And the choice is actually we need to go back in the past and make a different decision. But it says this, those who let God be God 
get off the conveyor belt of emotion and desire when it first starts to move toward the buzzsaw of sin. Nebuchadnezzar, of course, didn't do that. They do not wait until it is moving so fast that they can, cannot get off of it. Their aim is not to avoid sin, but to avoid temptation, the inclination to sin. They plan their path accordingly. Let's keep reading. 28 through 33. Okay. The dream's fulfillment. But all of these things did happen to Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, he was walking on the flat roof of the royal palace in Babylon. As he looked across the city, he said, Look at this great city of Babylon. By my own power, my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. While these words were still in his mouth, a voice came down from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer the ruler of this kingdom. You will be driven out from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals, and you will eat grass like a cow. Seven periods of this time will pass while you live this way, until you learn that the Most High God rules over the kingdoms of this world and gives them to anyone he chooses. That same hour of judgment that same hour, the judgment was fulfilled, and Nebuchadnezzar was driven out from human society. He ate grass like a cow, and he was drenched with the dew of heaven. He lived this way until his hair was as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. This is true, isn't it, that time always lessens urgency. Amen? The further we get away from God uh, revealing something to us, the more we can push it to the side. And I was just so proud, and I actually didn't even prepare to say this. I, I don't know why I didn't put it in the slides, but we had a baptism last week. Chloe Davis was baptized. And um, cool thing, uh, you know, church tradition she was raised in do, doesn't do baptism. And so we were having this conversation, eating pancakes, and then all of a sudden she's like, I want to get baptized. Okay, so that was incredible because all of a sudden she had a decision to make. Was she going to do it? Or was she going to say, I don't think that's a big deal. I don't think I need to do that. But God kept bringing it up over and over and over. She's like, she wasn't going to get peace until she was obedient. And I think a lot of us are like that in our lives. And I believe that there's like this 24-hour rule of what I've seen when God really lays something heavy on our hearts. And that if we don't respond in obedience, like if God lays something on your heart tonight that you need to be obedient in, you need to do it in the next 24 hours or you will not probably do it. I'm just saying, it just seems like we can go on and we can just pretend like it didn't even happen. And he gives them seven periods of time. We talked about that. We don't need to worry about the amount of time, but it was long enough to get his attention. And he, I, those biology majors in here, some people believe his biological, like his body was changed into something that could actually consume grass and survive for seven years. I don't know. I wasn't there. Um, all right, let's, let's finish up the passage here. Ryan. After this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven, and my sanity returned. And then I praised and worshipped the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. For his rule is everlasting and his kingdom is eternal. All of the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does what he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? When my sanity had returned to me, so did my honor and glory and kingdom. 
My advisors and my nobles, they sought me out, and I was restored as head of my kingdom with even greater honor than before. And now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. All his acts are just and true, for he is able to humble the proud. So check out the progression of how Nebuchadnezzar chose humility. He looked up to heaven, then his sanity returned, then he praised and worshiped, and then he honored God. And this passage shows us the more that we look to Jesus, the more sane we become. My mentor, Carl, 83 years old, tells me that all the time. The, more you, the closer you get to Jesus, the more sane you become. And pride in its most putrid form leads to irrational insanity. And an example of this, I organized back in the day a three-on-three tournament every year. And this is why I ended it, actually, this story. <laughs> and then I had this one football player, big, bad, ugly guy. knew what an ugly. Uh, <laughs> a beautiful man. I don't know. Uh, anyway, so he's, like, pushing people under the basket. He's screaming, you know, just acting like a fool. And so I said, hey, your team got kicked out. I just ran on the court. And I'm an introvert. I hate conflict. I'm, I'm a flight person. And so I am going, and he goes right in my face. I said, man, just on the, on the call, I said, are you having fun? He goes, yes, I'm having fun. I said, no, you're not. And I think that's what, that was an insane thing to say. Yes, I am having fun, screaming at me. And um, the closer you get to Jesus, the more sane you will become. And the further you get away from Jesus, uh, you will ignore warnings, just like Nebuchadnezzar did. Um, so for our application tonight, we don't have a whole lot of time left. If you need to leave, by all means, leave. No problem. Um, but for our application tonight, we're going to, to get, use three New Testament passages to parallel what this passage is about. Sometimes we can get kind of like, okay, that's Old Testament. But there's some stuff in the New Testament that hits it right, right where it needs to be hit. And so uh, first Molly's going to share, and then uh, Ryan and then myself, and then we'll wrap up. Okay, yeah, really quickly, I just want to say thank you guys for coming tonight. Um, I hope that you got something out of this, and if you haven't, um, that's okay, and I just want to be really humble right now, too. I struggle to read the Bible, and so if the Old Testament's tricky for you, if the New Testament's tricky for you, you're not alone, so we wanted to kind of do both, but if you struggle to read the Bible, um, seek some people out and ask them to help, because I'm trying to grow in that, um, and you're not alone in that. And so this is Acts chapter 12, um, and this is the death of Herod. It says, now Herod was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. So they sent a delegation to make peace with him before their cities were de- before their cities because they were dependent upon Herod's country for their food. The delegates won the pers- won the pers- support of Blaster, Herod's personal assin- assistant. And an appointment with Herod was granted. When the day arrived, Herod put out his royal robes and sat on his throne and made a speech to them. The people gave him a great standing ovation. It's the voice of God, not a man. Instantly, an angel of the Lord struck Herod with a sickness because he accepted the people's worship instead of giving God glory. So he was consumed with worms and died. Meanwhile, (laughs) the word of the Lord continued to spread, and there were many, many new believers. 
So that's kind of intense. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, we just kind of wanted to talk about how Herod accepted um, applause and he wasn't humble and um, yeah, that that ultimately led to his death. And so I think sometimes in the New Testament or just even the Bible, that seems really intense, but this can still happen today and it's kind of more of a slow fade um, like we talked about. But yeah, it's just this idea of making people bigger than God. And I read this really good book in high school, and it's, it talks about when people are big and God is small and, and how often we do that. And so just to kind of tie it in a little bit, I know we all have social media and stuff, but that can be a trap as well. And um, I'm not saying social media is bad by any means, but sometimes we go to social media or we go to friends to find that approval, to find that worth. And um, something my mom said for years, which is super cheesy, but during the song it came to my mind, and she always says go to the throne before the phone and it's so cheesy but it's so true and I think that's a really good click in my mind especially with like social media or just with friends and like have you talked to God about this first like have you gone to the throne and have you submitted it to him before you're telling anybody else about it and so um yeah and that's that's tricky but we learn in this example that it is a slow fade. And so, you know, tying it back to my story, I could have stayed in Ireland. And I think I would have been fine and I would have loved it and it would have been awesome and I probably wouldn't have been at the beach right now. But, <laughs> you know, um, but I chose to come home. And so I would have been fine, but God wants what's best for us. And what's best for us is to not accept people's approval because it will eat us alive if we don't know our worth, just like Ryan said. Um, so, yeah, that's... What happens? So just put it in perspective that God has to be bigger than people in your life. By the way, sickness, Greek word, intestinal worm. I'm glad I already ate because uh, that would not go well. So uh, the, first, the first application was how we choose humility in view of God, and that's what Molly just talked about. And I'm going to talk about how we choose humility and the way we view others. Um, so for this, we're going to go to Luke 18, 9 through 14. I'll read this real quick. And Jesus spoke in a parable um, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. He said, two men went into a temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and one was a tax collector. And the Pharisee, standing there by himself, prayed thus, God, I am thankful to you that I am not like this other man who is an extortioner. He is unjust. I am not like this tax collector, because I fast twice a week, and I give tithes on all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, and he said to God, Be merciful to me, a sinner. Now I tell you, this, this is the man who went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted." I think it's a natural thing as people and as humans to want to view ourselves as better than the people around us. Um, it makes us feel good. It makes us feel important. It makes us feel like we have worth and we have value. Um, and it, it goes back to how we view ourselves, what our identity is. Um, when I was in Red Robin sobbing, my identity was in the fact that I wanted to be viewed as better than my friends, as better than my classmates. And because of my perceived failures, I could no longer view myself as that. And so my world came crashing down in the middle of that red robin. But what I should have done is I should have seen myself as a servant of God. Because every single one of us in here were made in the image of God. And so when I view myself as a servant of God, then I'm able to view the people around me and say, I am also your servant. I'm not here to serve myself. I'm not here to make myself look good. I'm here to serve you. 
Um, and I think the important thing here from, from this passage and from the passage of Daniel is that it is possible to praise God and still be proud. It's possible to praise God and still be proud because ultimately it's about our identity. It's about how we view ourselves and it's about whether or not we see ourselves as servants of God and servants of the people around us or if we see God as serving us and the people around us as making us look better. All right, we're almost done. Philippians 2, 3 through, through 11, which is one more we want to, this is the whole thing. In order to believe in Babylon, you need to choose humility before humility chooses you. This is another great passage. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ had. Wow, look at that standard. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in, a, in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so all three of these things, like the one she was sharing is choosing humility in view of God. Ryan shared choosing humility in view of others. And this is choosing humility in view of the end of time. So just imagine Jesus comes back tonight and basketball season doesn't start and all this conditioning doesn't matter or whatever. You know, let's say the sky split open, trumpet sounds, white horse, dead raising, everything stops. That clock's already stopped, actually. It says 1215. Um, maybe we missed it. I'm not sure. Um, I just want to tell you a quick story. Uh, so I'm, I'm with uh, the, the radiation safety manager, Michael Martin. He and I are really good friends, great guy here on campus. And he and myself and Luke Tice, a student and our intern at the time, Alex Hunnicutt, were having lunch on the canal. Great place to have lunch, by the way. And the sun is shining. It's during the middle of summer. It's 75 degrees. It's beautiful. I feel like I was in heaven. And so I'm, I'm, we're eating lunch, talking about Jesus, and this lady sits down, and uh, she is not happy about what we were talking about. <laughs> she said, well, I don't believe in God. And you know, comes in and talks to us. And long story short, I really wanted to throw her into the canal. <laughs> I didn't. She was older. <laughs> so <laughs> if she was younger, I wouldn't have. I look at me. I can't throw anybody in the canal. But so instead of doing that, instead of actually lashing out, like I wanted to just go into like, I was reading The Reason for God by Tim Keller at that time when she was talking about secular humanism and how God doesn't exist and religion caused all the wars in the world and she kept going on and on. Like, stop. I wanted to say that. I did not. Instead I said, man, she was talking about some other, like real estate earlier. I said, thank you so much for your thoughts on real estate. That was very helpful. And it was. And uh, later, I emailed her. She gave me her business card. I emailed her. And I said, hey, would you be willing to read The Reason for God by Tim Keller? Emails me right back. Says, yes, I would. <laughs> and then I get an email from one of her other uh, uh, guys who's in their um, uh, club uh, on the canal. they got a, a little office place there on the canal. And uh, he, he emails me, wants a copy. He's also, also an atheist uh, lawyer. Uh, I'm not sure I should have sent him the book. I sent them both the book. And uh, on October 28th, we're going to have like a friendly fire uh, debate at, on their turf. There's only 75 seats 
on your announcement sheet, there's a way to, way to sign up. I would love to flood that sign up, by the way. But I was thinking, okay, if I, well, you know, if I respond harshly, not through her into the canal, but just like, you know, if I'm acting all, I've got all the answers and you're dumb for thinking that, she doesn't respond to my email, right? She's probably thinking, no, no thank you. Instead, it ends up being like, oh, we're having coffee at Quills with these two. It was Ethan's first day as, as, as intern. And we're talking about Jesus and about school and like all kinds of wild things. And now we're going to have this awesome, good relationship with them. And maybe something will happen. Okay? That's why we have to choose humility. And this quote from Francis Chan, if you haven't read his latest book, it's really good. While humility is a gift, it does not just passively appear. He commands us to humble ourselves while it's something we pray for, it's also something we strive for. In order to believe in Babylon, you have to choose humility before humility chooses you. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what we're going to do right now, I don't know how this is actually going to work because there's so many of you, uh, but we would I would like to take communion before we leave. Uh, we're going to put on a song here. Uh, any song, Living Hope, I feel welcome. I don't care what it is. Um, but... Maybe go to the back and get a cup of juice and a piece of bread and come back and stand, and I'm going to stand with you. And we're going to take communion together before we <clears throat> close out because I believe that the cross is the best way. We just saw it in Philippians chapter 2, right? It's the best way to humble ourselves. Maybe you've never taken communion before. I'm sorry. What a great time to take communion for the first time, okay? Let's go ahead and get a piece of bread and a cup of juice and come back, and we're going to close in a word of prayer as we think about uh, Jesus' body and blood.
the way, Phil Wickham should never sing that song again. She should. I don't know who that is. Okay. This may seem very, almost like if you're raised in a very uh, conservative church, this may seem sacrilegious, but I think this is really closer to what was happening in the first century when the church was taking communion. They were eating together, right? And while they were eating, Jesus took some bread and he blessed it and he broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, Take and eat, for this is my body. Without the breaking of the body, there is no blood. Without blood, there is no forgiveness, okay? And so uh, let's, let's eat this together. The, the body of Jesus, amen, represents Jesus' body for the healing of the nations. And he took the cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it, and he gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it. For this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for tonight. It is only by the blood of Jesus that we are cleansed and made free from all of our past failures, all of our pride. God, everyone in this room means so much to you. And I pray that they would feel that tonight. I pray that whatever sins that we are hanging on to, that we would leave right here, right here. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. We don't deserve it. We gladly accept it because it's the only way that we'll live in eternity with you forever. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name. All God's people said.